Hi, this is David Ruprecht from Supermarket Sweep, and I want to remind you the next time you're at a checkout stand and you hear the beep, think of all the fun you could have on Supermarket Sweep. I never asked to grow up, so please don't make me do it. I wasn't meant to grow up, don't think I'll make it through it. Things have been going south since I hit puberty. It looks like growing up is just too much for me. So welcome to the station of useless information inside your head. I'm Nasty Neil, and I'm joined by Brian Volkweiss, who has a great show. It's not useless at all. The Toys That Made Us. It's one of my favorite shows. And not just because you're here. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And as I do this interview, this whole wall to my left, again, not just because you're here, is covered with Hasbro wrestling figures, WWF figures. So I'm very excited about the wrestling episode on season three. Nice. Well, uh, excited to have you as a fan, and thank you for being one. Mm-hmm. So November 15th. How, how do you decide w- what toys you're going to talk about on each season? So I, I basically, in my gut and my brain, uh, for better or worse, I have like three rules uh, that I, I try to live by when picking the toys. Uh, the first is I call it the, the, the Mount Rushmore of toys rule. And what that basically means is, is there at least one character from the line that if there was a Mount Rushmore for toys, there could be that character on the, on the monument. And as an example, like, my wife, she doesn't know anything about Transformers, no interest in it whatsoever, but she can recognize Optimus Prime. She can recognize Bumblebee. So every line we cover has to have at least one character like that, um, just because it really proves its cultural uh, relevancy. The second thing is... Um, I really want the toy to be in production uh, pretty much from the day it goes on sale until today. And the reason for that is, you know, I I don't want to do a toy that only was for sale for a year or two. You know, I really want multi-generational viewing so you could have a grandfather with his daughter, with her son, all enjoying the same episode. So that's awesome. So the only time we broke that rule, ironically, uh, and ironic because it's, from what I've heard, people consider it to be our best episode, uh, is He-Man. That's the only time I broke the rule. Um, And then the third rule, and of course all these rules are in quotes, I hope you know, there's no rules. Uh, It's a show about toys. Why would there be rules? Uh, But uh, the, the third rule is it has to be a good story. There's a bunch of toys that are very popular, but basically somebody had an idea, they made the toy, it was a huge hit. And it's just, that's it. There's no twists and turns, there's no downs, it's only ups. Uh, The the people who made the toy are not terribly charismatic. So that's an episode we wouldn't do, even if the toy is super popular. Yeah. Well, uh, since you said that, because I'm not the world's biggest Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan, but I love the episode because it's really a story about Eastman and Laird and like their friendship and and breakup of their friendship. Well, you you took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, I first of all, nothing 
the, the number one thing I love hearing is somebody saying, I was not a fan of X, but I watched it because I liked what you guys did with a toy that I do like. So I love hearing that. And, and you absolutely hit the nail on the head. A lot of these episodes, by the way, they really are not about the toy. They really are about a bigger picture. It could be the rise and fall of Kenner. It could be, you know, Lego going out of business almost in 2003. So you're absolutely right about Turtles. It really is more about the relationship of a 40-year friendship than it is just about some plastic green, uh, you know, characters. Yeah. And it's it's really one of the most emotional episodes, I think. I, listen, I'm biased, but I, I agree. I, it's so funny, man. Like, one of the things that I, uh, you know, I get made fun of for this, uh, and rightfully so, um, but I, I like to shoot really, really long interviews because, you know, one of the reasons is I'm naturally uh, a curious person, so I, like, have a lot of questions, and then when you hear answers to questions, it always makes me have more questions. Mm-hmm. So my, my favorite example of this is last year uh, I was interviewing Ivan Reitman uh, and we were about 90 minutes into the interview and he just looks over at me at one point and says, hey man, uh, are we going to talk about Ghostbusters? <laughs> so I, I always feel that's uh, a, good, a good way to explain my, my interviewing style. So we were interviewing Pete Lamb and uh, he, uh, you know, we were in this tiny room. I don't know if you could tell from the episode. It was just such a perfect room to film in, but it was, like, really uncomfortable to be in there because the room was really small. Um, he was in there. I was in there. The cinematographer was in there. The sound operator was in there. So we had, like, four. And then also uh, our showrunner, Robin Henry, was in there. So we actually had five people in the room during the interview. And it was getting hot, and uh, it was going on for a while. And then literally, I'll never forget this, and this is why I like doing these deep dive interviews. All of a sudden, he's like... Yeah, blah, 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 you know, but I did keep the rights to make, you know, 14 new issues a year. And I'm like, whoa, what? (laughs) Does anybody know that? And he was like, no. He's like, to be honest with you, I kind of forgot about it. I'm like, does Kevin know? And he's like, no. And at that moment, I knew that was going to be what I like to call the spinal column of the episode. Yeah. And then I, I don't want to spoil like the episode, but uh, you know, the end's great. It, it kind of keeps you, you know, wondering what, what happens after you stop, you stop filming. Uh, exactly. And that, what was their show itself? Um, how did it all come about? Like, did you pitch it to Netflix or did you make it? And then like Netflix, you know, t- took it on. Basically what happened was I, I was at a Borders Books about nine years ago and uh, I, I realized, I don't know why, but for some reason I was trying to get some information on the Transformers, like their origins, and I could not find anything about Transformers. Then I looked around, there was nothing on G.I. Joe. 
Like, and I'm like, like, why are there a thousand books here about the war of 1812 and not a single book about Transformers? Like, it didn't make any sense to me. And that was the beginning of trying to make the show. So for about seven years, I kept trying to sell it. I got real close a couple times at, like, History Channel or Nat Geo. At the last minute, they passed. And, you know, when you're a producer, you're just always trying to, you know, just never give up, never give up. So a lucky break was uh, my company produces a lot of stand-up specials, and we have always produced a lot of stand-up for Netflix. So there was a guy at Netflix who I dealt with in the stand-up comedy space. He moved over to the uh, reality side of Netflix. And it, that was really important and very lucky for two reasons. One is I'd already been in business with this guy for about three years, so he trusted me. He knew if I said I could do something, I could. Number two, uh, we had become friends. He had been to my house, and he had seen my toy collection. So he knew, like, me trying to pitch a toy. Because the problem is producers, we get typecast just as much as actors. So for me to be like, hey, I'm the comedy producer, but you should buy a show from me about toys, that was always a weird kind of conversation over the years. So because he'd been in my house, because he'd seen my collection, he knew I was quote unquote an expert on toys. Um, so I kept bugging him, I kept bugging him, and then one day he finally said to me, he's like, hey man, if you want us to buy this show, you got to put together a tape because you've never done anything like this before and we don't know if you can, but here's the kind of show we would make about toys. And he gave me all these great notes. My favorite note, which is uh, completely affected the, the DNA of our show, is he said... From Netflix's point of view, the perfect show is that 70s show. And the reason why it's perfect is it takes place in the 70s. So any old people love the show because it reminds them of how life was when they were younger. But the cast is very young and very hot and attractive. So that means young people want to watch the show. So it's the perfect show because we get 15-year-olds to 75-year-olds all watching it. So he gave me all that information, and then, basically, we made a six-minute tape that I, I show it whenever I speak at conventions or panels or anything. I usually show it. Rarely is at least half the audience not crying. It's, it's a pretty powerful tape, and that's what got the show greenlit, mm -hmm. is that tape. That's awesome. Were they surprised that it took off so big? Because I, I know just, you know, as, when the first episode, the first season came on, just everyone that I knew, like on social media, was talking about it. Uh, yes, I was very surprised. Uh, you know, I, I've produced a lot of television shows. Uh, not a single one of them uh, was a hit. So uh, I, I, I was beginning to think I would never have a popular show, uh, just statistically speaking. So 
yes, it was extremely surprising to me. And to be completely honest with you, as we're coming up on the two-year anniversary of season one premiering, I, I would argue it's even more surreal today to me uh, than it was uh, two years ago. I, I, I literally feel like I'm living in a movie. Uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. As a big wrestling fan, after the first season, I kept saying, "Is like I really would like a wrestling figure one." So it's very excited to see that that that's happened, and I finally found out why the the LJN figures were like so impossible to play with, and why they were just these giant big rubber figures. <laughs> now you know. Yeah, yeah. Which that was always a problem with almost all the wrestling figures for the for years, even the Hasbro ones, which I like, but. Uh, like th- they were not playable. I used to use my GI Joe figures for wrestling because th- they were much easier to play with. Well, rest assured, you were not the only one. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Remco figures, I was glad they were covered a bit too. The AWA figures, because I did like them. They were more playable than the other ones. And uh, one thing that wasn't on the show, but I did like about the Remco guys, were that the f- there was a couple fat guys that had a different body. They had just this smooth body instead of like just the He-Man, uh, uh, you know, one that they, they all had this exact same body. They were always very funny to me. Uh, I, I, we, we did it's funny, man, you know, when you make a show like this, you got to cut a lot of stuff oh, out. Sure. Yeah. And we actually did a whole thing about those bodies, uh, <laughs> that if we ever put out a season three Blu-ray, uh, I guarantee you will be a part of it. I, I know exactly what you mean. That's so funny you bring that up. Yeah. Do you put the shows on uh, DVD and Blu-ray after? Yes. Uh, seasons one and two are on Blu-ray uh, and DVD right now. Um, so, and you can get them from Amazon or pretty much anywhere you buy anything like that. Uh, it's available. Yeah. What do you think it is about action figures that really like capture us? Because I mean, there are other things on the shows like Legos and stuff, but uh, primarily most of the episodes are about action figures. Yeah. I mean, I think it's what I will say is it's like, it's more about us than it is about the figure because it's what, what, what these figures and vehicles and everything allow us to do is make in some degree a physical manifestation of our imagination. And, you know, that's, that's what it really is. It's like you have some kid who had a bad day at school. He comes home and, you know, he's in charge of a 25,000 meter starship uh, that could blow up a planet, you know, and like that's, that's what the toys are. It's about that kid being able to be captain of a starship. Uh, it, it's, that's, that's what it's about. It's not necessarily about the starship or, or even the plastic. It's, it's about the connection between the young child and the plastic. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't, I'm not actually sure your age, but um, I assume like Power Rangers came 40, out. I am 43. All right. I'm that's 43. So am, I, so am I actually, born 76. So, uh, so Power Rangers for me came out a little bit later than like I was watching that kind of show or or, uh, or playing with figures. So uh, for I don't know for you, but uh, were you into Power Rangers? And if not, like um, you, is it you? you, you it, because we are the same age, it sounds like we had the exact same experience. I I, I never ever played with Power Rangers uh, at all. I, and to be completely honest with you, it's funny, man. Like I was never a He-Man fan. 
but because of the, making the episode, now I'm a huge He-Man fan. <laughs> like, Power Rangers, like, I get it. I respect it. I enjoyed making the episode. Um, but I'm still like, this is a little wacky. Yeah. Well, when you take on, like, a, a toy that you yourself didn't, like, have, like, fond memories, or even really memories of, uh, are you hesitant at all? Or are you just like, well, I know this is a big toy line. We should cover it. Especially if there's a story. No, there. I'm... I'm not hesitant for a couple of reasons. Reason number one, I my favorite thing in the world pretty much is to learn something that I don't already know. So in many ways, you know, I'm a huge G.I. Joe fan and I loved making the G.I. Joe episode, but in many ways it was much more fulfilling for me to make the He-Man episode or believe it or not, even the My Little Pony as a Hello Kitty episode because I didn't know anything about it, and everything we did on those episodes was new information to me. So I really enjoyed that. Um, The other reason uh, that is, you know, it's a lot more work for me if I don't know a toy, because like, like Star Wars, I really, I already owned all the books that I would have bought to learn about the history of Star Wars. So I didn't have to do that much work. For He-Man or, or Power Rangers, I had to buy every book and spend you know, dozens and dozens of hours uh, trying to become an expert on those lines. So, uh, but again, the weird thing about me, maybe, I, I actually really enjoy that process. So, yeah, I, I, I was very happy to be digging into something I didn't know anything about. Yeah. Like you said before, though, uh, uh, like I, the, the show got me cause eight, cause I am a He-Man fan, He-Man and G.I. Joe, but then I watched the Barbie and my little pony and, uh, and the, uh, my, the, the little kitty. And like, I didn't know anything about those really other than they existed. And, and, uh, as a viewer, it's the same way. Like the other stuff I knew some about, but it was fun to watch, but then something you know nothing about, it's all new information you're watching and you find, you found a new respect for it. And it's really interesting. Uh, music to my ears, man. I'm very appreciative you feel that way. Yeah. So do you think that you could, it would be possible to do a show like this, like in 30 years? Cause it doesn't seem like there's like a lot of new action figures today. It seems like action figures are really made for adult collectors. I absolutely think you could do the toys that made us reboot in uh, 2059. Uh, because toys are always evolving, but I have three children, so I also get to watch what they're doing. And listen, my son is as into Transformers as I was. You know, my daughter is as into, I mean, absolutely as into Star Wars as I was. You know, but the difference is, you know, when I was a kid, and I was obviously a dude, but, you know, all the girls when I was a kid, like, it was either like, well, I hope you like Princess Leia, because if you don't, you're kind of out of luck. Uh-huh. The thing that's amazing about Star Wars now is, like, it's not for a girl. Like, it's not just about Princess Leia. So, like, my daughter is, like, she's kind of okay with Princess Leia, but, like, she loves Ahsoka Tano, you know? And because of Ahsoka, that's how you get into Sabine. So I, I would argue my daughter, you know, when she's 43, uh, she, she would definitely love to see a, uh, 
a, a Star Wars episode uh, sequel uh, that focused entirely on the, I guess what I would call the, the Ahsoka years. Yeah. Just as a, it's not necessarily about your show, but what do you make of the rise of uh, superhero movies? Because, you know, they're so huge. My brother's a big comic book fan, so for him to see, like, you know, movies based on not even, like, the big characters, but characters you'd never even think you'd ever see, uh, you know, in a movie, it's uh, it's amazing for him. I mean, my general opinion is I think it's wonderful. Um, I, and I, I, on many levels, I mean, one of the things that I think Marvel and, you know, Kevin Feige don't get enough credit for is, like, they crack the code. So, like, because of what Marvel's doing, now I'm a huge Star Trek fan, because of what Marvel's doing, now Star Trek is, like, becoming Marvel. I mean, which is, like, the greatest thing in the world. You know, lots of movies, lots of TV shows, um, bringing back, quote-unquote, old characters. I, I think it's brilliant. And I also, I, I know I don't mean to get all uh, philosophical, but I really do think this. It's like, our country is so divided on so many issues. I like the fact that, you know, for a movie to make a billion dollars, that means a lot of people from a lot of states are going to help it make a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. And so I like that our country, even though we're divided right now in many ways, uh, is, is uniting around these very, for the most part, uh, popular, um, positive characters. So I, I am happy to see that. Yeah. Um, as it relates to the specifics, um, I, listen, I think these movies, like any other movie, are, are very hit or miss. You know, uh, you, it's funny, my favorite Marvel movie is, uh, I think, the, the deepest dive they have made so far. Um, you know, everybody forgets when Guardians of the Galaxy 1 came out, people were like, what is this? <laughs> uh, but that's my favorite Marvel movie. You know, every, almost all my friends love uh, Winter Soldier, and I'm like... I, I don't get this guy. I, everybody else can fly and shoot lasers out of their ears, uh, but like this guy just has like a metal arm. Yeah. Yeah, like, uh, but but that's what I love about it. Like, I don't get it, but a lot of my friends do, and we talk about it. So yeah. I I think it's great. I, I think there's no downside. Yeah, I'm 100 percent with you on both those movies, but I think Guardians of the Galaxy is so good. It's really not even like a superhero movie. It kind of seems more like a. Like a, almost like a Star Wars movie in its own way, because it's all different characters in different locations. I, I completely agree with you, but I also think it is a masterpiece in writing and a masterpiece in filmmaking. Like, if I taught a writing class, I would show scenes from Guardians of the Galaxy as an example of great writing. Like, the scene where they're in the prison, and in the foreground, they're talking about how they're going to do the jailbreak, and then in the background, you see Groot just doing it, and then they all have to react. That is great writing. Like, people, because it's like a sci-fi film or whatever, I don't think it gets enough credit. Like, you, you don't see that kind of moment in movies very often, where the, all the main characters have a plan, the audience can see something knowing that their plan is not going to happen, and then all they, you know, they spend the next 10 minutes improvising because Groot took that thing prematurely. Like, that's great writing. Like, that doesn't get enough credit. That's great writing. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, back to the wrestling, because I'm just a big wrestling fan, is uh, Robbie from Galoob is amazing, and, and I think he could have his own show. I could not agree <laughs> with you anymore. That is a yeah. thousand percent right. Yeah, when you find something like that, like, you know, you're making this document, uh, a show about, you know, wrestling or whatever it is, and you happen to find, like, this character is just like, uh, he's got this great story and everything about him is, like, entertaining. Uh, what's that like for you? I mean, we work very hard to find people like that. We pre-interview everybody twice. So by the time, so we probably do about, per episode, we probably do about 100 first interviews. Of those 100, we probably interview about 60 a second time. And of those 60, we then do a quote-unquote real interview Um probably about 40 people from the original group of a hundred. So that's how we find these characters is we interview everybody ahead of time and we know who's going to pop. We know who's got good information. Um, and then we just coordinate the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Now who did the song? Cause the, the theme song is pretty awesome. Um, I co-wrote the lyrics with a guy by the name of Tom Stern uh, and I will be honest with you, I'm sorry to report, I do not know who, compu- who composed uh, the music. I do not, uh, I, I, I was, I was uh, at this point close to two and a half years ago, and I do, unfortunately, I do not remember that gentleman's name. Mm, that's too bad. Now, my brother wanted me to ask this, but I think you kind of already covered it because uh, you said you don't want to do lines that like don't exist anymore. But uh, he always wanted amigo line, amigo show about because that's his favorite. He's a little older than me. His favorite uh, line of toys were the amigo characters. Well, the, the here's the thing: if, if Netflix says congratulations, you got season four, four more episodes. We're not doing amigo. If they <laughs> say congratulations, you're doing eight more episodes probably not doing Nego. Uh-huh. If they say, congratulations, you're doing 12 episodes, we're going to do Nego. Excellent. I'll let him know. He'll be, he'll be very happy that he, that he has a possibility <laughs> in, in, a, in a few years. Yeah. So I, su- I, right. su- yeah, I assume when you first did the first uh, season, like everyone was, was asking like for their favorite toys online. Like you have to do this episode. You have to do this episode. Yes, correct. That still goes on daily. Yeah. What What would you say is like the most obscure like line that someone suggested, or some of the most obscure? Like, like even if it went on ten seasons, you probably wouldn't get to it. Well, I mean, if, if we're talking about obscure, I mean, Insecticons that comes up more than you would <laughs> think. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't even think those were on sale for a full year. Uh, so, I mean, that, that that's one. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, there's some ghouly ghosts. It was a, a, a line that, and I could be getting the name wrong, but I think it was called ghouly ghosts. It was like these ugly plastic skeletons and stuff that came with slime, and you'd put them in like a swimming pool of slime. Um, like again, like not even didn't even have a full year of sales before it was canceled. So those are probably two of the more obscure. But, you know, the funny thing is we get asked a lot to do Mask, you know, and Thundercats. But Mask in particular always cracks me up where I'm like, 
How many people do you know know about masks <laughs> other than between the age of 35 and 50? Uh-huh. Like, uh, it, it, was, it was a complete failure. Um, and unlike He-Man, which was a failure but still resonated, like, you don't see mask T-shirts when you're at a convention. Uh-huh. You don't see, uh, you know, so that's the one that I, so I'm always like, God love you, but I... I don't think they're going to be a mask episode. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. I guess see Thundercats. So I, I, I did like Thundercats, but uh, I just remember masks. I love masks. almost like G.I. Joe's, but they were like half the size, which were cool. No, I love masks. And I, I had more masks than G.I. Joe, than He-Man growing up. I, I, I had no He-Man, and I had quite a bit of masks. I love masks, but, you know, I you, you, hard to dedicate an hour to masks. Yeah. What were those cast iron uh uh, like uh, war guys, they were about this little, maybe about the size of the mask guys, but they were made out of like cast iron. I remember that too. I don't remember those names, but I remember that. Yeah, and the playset was like an eagle statue with the American flag on the top. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I know exactly what you're talking about, but I forget the name. Yeah, me too. Oh. Well, anyway, well, I I love the toys that made us, and the new season, November fifteenth, uh, they're great. I've seen them. And I hope I know everyone's going to check them out. But uh, it's been great to talk with you. Great talking with you. Thanks for the support. All my high school friends are off in college now. And I get high and watch TV all day. Living in my mother's basement's really not that bad. I got everything I need and I don't pay. Don't make me do it I wasn't meant to grow up Don't think I'll make it through it Things have been going south Since I hit puberty It looks like growing up Is just too much for me I was doing fine When I was still a kid Swapping baseball cards And playing ball then came my school classes that I couldn't understand And girls who wouldn't notice me at all But I never asked to grow up So please don't make me do it I wasn't meant to grow up Don't think I'll make it through it Things have been going south since I hit puberty It looks like growing up is just I just agree with them But I say not now No, not right now